welcome to the Nomadic Mindset Season 1. My name is Kevin Cottom, a global nomad and the author of the leadership book, The Nomadic Mindset Never Settle for Too Long. Over the season, we will go on a journey to discover what is the nomadic mindset and how you can tap into that. For this, I will be interviewing a diverse group of cross-cultural thought leaders from all walks of life. So let's get on with it. Let's go nomading together. Welcome to The Nomadic Mindset. And if you're tuning in for the first time today, thank you for taking the time to come and explore ideas and thoughts. In this episode, The Nomadic Mindset meets Junzian Lee, a successful entrepreneur from Singapore, the CEO of Muaz. Junzian is a humble and astute nomad who embraces his uniqueness by discovering and filling the gap to help the human experience. I so enjoy my conversations with Junzian and the way his nomadic mindset moves. I get very curious and ask Junzian, why does he choose startups as opposed to traditional industries? Let's hear it from Junzian. Uh, so actually, I, I would think that I chanced upon it. So the caveat is like after I graduated, I actually joined a financial institution. So yeah, I kind of did the, the business school thing, right? Like got out of school, uh, wanted to be a banker or a consultant. By the grace of God, became a banker. But I think what that kind of like got me uh, to think about was like, hey, like, you know, like with so many years I've been studying, especially in the Singaporean education system, I always followed what I deemed to be like the correct answer. But after graduating and getting to my first job in, in, in a bank, like, then realized that what I defined to be a correct answer was actually externally defined. So I basically got a job that was uh, socially accepted, right? So, you know, you become a banker, your parents uh, praise you, your friends say, hey, good job. But something inside me didn't really click. When I was like in the second year of my undergraduate studies, I started my first cafe. Uh, it was, uh, I, was I think on hindsight, uh, a gutsy move, um, extremely high risk. Uh, I had no idea what I was doing. I think I was charged uh, with uh, too much hormones or something. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, but I, I started like an FMB and uh, we managed to figure some things out and it survived. So that was kind of like my first brush with entrepreneurship. After wrapping up, uh, I guess, my experience in the corporate world, I went on to study. So I did a uh, master's in, in Boston and then did an MBA in, uh, in China, in Shanghai. And I graduated wanting to figure out what to do with my, uh, the rest of my career, right? The rest of my working life. So I got into tech. I started as a venture capitalist, uh, the investment side. And that's when I first got into contact with uh, startups. Yeah, it was really from an investment perspective. So I guess like looking at startups from a financial returns perspective was where I started. Uh, I then had the opportunity to operate my first startup. Uh, it was in e-commerce and kind of fell in love with uh, like the operational sides of startups. So fast forward to today, Move Us um, is already my fourth startup. Yeah, and uh, thank you. Thankful so far that the journey has been very rewarding. Um, Sure, we have like ups and downs, right? Um, the usual. Yeah, I mean, running a small business and starting a small business is always challenging, but I think it's also that part of it that uh, appeals to many. Uh, I'm no different. Yeah, I like the building part of it. I like the problem-solving part of it. And that's why I continue to do it. 
Mm. You like the problem solving, the building. And I love what you said earlier about following the correct answer. Now, that's interesting because so many people are following what they think is the correct answer. And that's why startups are in many ways because people are not following the correct answer. Is that, would you say that? I guess, like, uh, if we split uh, that understanding out into two different parts, uh, we're still trying to find the correct answer. <laughs> but I think, like, rather than looking for the answer externally, a lot of it is trying to solve it internally. So, you know, using like our the toolkits that we've been equipped with through education, right? Um, what is like, I don't know, what is the cabin solution to the nomadic movement, or what is the, you know, what is a dancer's solution to the nomadic movement? Each one of us has uh, within us a, a unique answer. So it's more like embracing that uniqueness rather than, you know, kind of like reading some blog and then trying to apply external learnings to our unique problems, right? Uh, I like this very much. I, I, it's actually interesting what you were just saying because I've been observing in this period now of where many people are, I, I don't want to say pushing their wares, but mm. they are saying this is a solution for you or this is another solution for you. But it's not really filling a gap necessarily. You know, it's not thinking out of the box. It's just sort of temporary at the same point. So I guess it's not really filling necessarily unique answers. And I think what you mean is unique answers are something that is not the normal, it's not the way everybody's going, but is finding a different way. And I sense that's what you're, what you're talking about here. And also because Muaz has moved into a very, very different field of how you see an old field, right? Exactly. So, yeah, so Muaz uh, and Muaz, we, we are basically looking to Uberize cross-border relocation. So think like Uber for relocation, right? What does that look like if we start imagining what are the, you know, the various services that we can layer on top of it, how we can start interacting with the various uh, suppliers along the entire value chain, right? Then, you know, it, it kind of opens a, an interesting box for us to redefine and reimagine how consumption can take place. So we say Uberize because like ultimately, you know, like for Uber, there is a car and a driver that would show up you know, at your doorstep, right? So that part doesn't really change. But we can no longer imagine standing by a road and flagging, right? I think if you look at the, uh, the consumption habits today, all of us just expects to whip out our phone, no matter which country we land in, right? In Seoul and in Bali and Bangkok, right? We kind of expect that there will be a right-hailing app. We, don't, we no longer expect to, you know, stand by the road and, and flag, right? So uh, similarly for relocation and cross-border relocation. Yeah, like um, I think, Kevin, like you shared, it is a very traditional industry. What tech allows us to do is to start reimagining what the consumer journey can look like. Mm. I was talking to somebody in South Africa recently, and uh, she's a pretty amazing woman that does a lot of work with uh, in, in gen blending. And uh, she was looking at words, and you use the word reimagine. And she, she would say that we need to remove the word re because mm. that's really looking at the past. Mm. 
and past in industries and past industrial revolution. And she said, that's gone of the dodo. We, and and right. some people are still there. So she's, she's suggesting that we put new imagination. And, uh, so, or just to imagine rather than right. taking us backwards. I mean, it's great to have that historical essence is what you're referring to. Right. But you are breaking the rules, so to right. speak, of the old rules. And, and that I sense is that gap that we're talking about. And you're filling a gap that has not been filled. And you're talking a similar, but a very different language. So how does one get there to, to thinking that way, which is a mindset? So how did you get there? Mm. I think it's an interesting question. Uh, just thinking back, I don't think it was always the case. Uh, in fact, I'm just looking at my, my, my career, right? When I was in my earlier 20s, I, I struggled a lot because I was a younger man and I had different ideas. But, you know, in Asia, that's not celebrated <laughs> necessarily. <laughs> you know, if you're a young guy, you know, do, do your stuff, right? Do what you're supposed to be doing. <laughs> so, um, yeah. But if you, I think like, after I started uh, maybe um, being interested in maybe more mid-manager or uh, senior roles, then I, yeah, I, I was in a better position to be able to implement some of my ideas. And a lot of them are, I guess, like, were a lot more celebrated. So just looking back, like, uh, yeah, I, I don't think it was always the case. Uh, I think I've always had that Kindle inside me, but uh, I had to kind of like oppress it for a little bit because it wasn't socially accepted. But yeah, uh, when I came of age and people maybe could imagine me being in the leadership position and making certain strategic decisions, then uh, for me, it was a lot easier to embrace that part of me. So yeah, it wasn't always the case. Uh, but I think like, uh, yeah, when I started being in uh, leadership positions, then I could really start exploring this out of myself. Wow. That's a very cool answer. Thanks very much. And this is not only an internal piece for you. Uh, and when I say internal, I mean emotional, spiritual energy. But at the same time, it is this mindset. So we've talked about it. And you're the one that actually really latched on to the nomadic mindset before many people did when uh, I was launching my book. And I am very grateful to you for this, to go... This is the curiosity. And so that is the gap that I would say that you, you were looking at. And, but I would like to know what is the mindset that, you know, that really drives you? Is it the nomadic mindset or is it the settler mindset, which I don't think that's you, but it's, it's also a builder mindset for you. But I mean, the point is, is are you gathering nomads around you? with a nomadic mindset, are you inspiring that? To share a little bit about that leadership. Right. I'd say like you kind of need, uh, as you currently identified, you you need a, a blend of people, right? There has to be a medley, right? Of, of mm -hmm. different personalities and different viewpoints and perspectives before uh, the sum of the parts become larger than the whole, right? Mm -hmm. So like uh, um, ours is very similar, but I think in the mid and senior uh, management uh, positions, we do look out for people with nomadic mindsets rather than uh, builder mindsets. We do need builders, but on a strategic level, as we decide each and every day, like which are the little decisions we're going to take, uh, we do need to fundamentally come from a perspective of a nomad. 
So, you know, and that needs to be fairly consistent, right? Because the minute we lose that essence and we start deciding out of character, you know, the company and our guys uh, who we work with starts getting a little bit schizophrenic, right? <laughs> they no longer <laughs> know what we represent. Yeah, so definitely within the, the mid-management, the senior management team, we, uh, we choose to work with people with the nomadic mindset so that there's a certain consistency to the decisions we make each and every day. And that consistency, strangely, albeit being nomadic by nature, provides a certain level of comfort and stability to the people uh, whom we work with. Mm, providing that comfort and stability, which is actually very interesting in a period today, which is certainly full of uncertainty and certainly unpredictability. Now, this actually, this conversation is actually really timely in the sense that not only have people stopped the ability to be mobile because of government stopping us, how is that affecting your business? And so, yeah, how, how is it affecting your business? So, I think it's an interesting point and it ties very nicely to what you do, Kevin. I guess like it is a nomadic mindset, right? So there is a, well, there can be a physical manifestation of like a, a move. But I think there's also like a, a mentally what we crave, right? There's a little bit of wanderlust in, in each and every one of us. We all crave adventure. So I think what COVID-19 has brought would be like kind of a reality check. <laughs> like uh, it is forcing uh, a lot of processes online, right? I think meetings now are held by Zoom or the Netflix is doing really well now. <laughs> so it, a lot of the businesses are forced uh, to consider what the virtual uh, representation of their business would look like, right? So for us, I guess it's similar uh, whereby um, physically people are impeded uh, from moving. The trends we are seeing is that a lot of people are searching online. So uh, informational search volumes have been increasing. Uh, what has been decreasing has been conversion rates. So people are no longer able to commit to their physical move. But it doesn't stop people from searching. In fact, what we've seen is a search in number of searches. So, you know, like, I don't know, it's, it's kind of strange, but it, it's like entropy, right? Like, when you no longer realize that you physically can't move, that's when you really start trying to figure out or find out what it is to move. So search volumes once again have increased. I think what we as a business have to do now is to figure out sooner rather than later what are the ancillary services that you know can be offered given that this is a trend, right? And things have to happen virtually. So there are parts of, I guess, like a, a nomadic movement or a relocation exercise that can be done virtually or you know, like uh, you're talking about maybe like uh, surveys can be done via video or it can be done via AR or VR or, you know, there should be like a 360 camera somewhere, right? Like yeah. all of this, like uh, we, we know that technology exists. It's just not applied in like our realm as of yet. But maybe this is the primer we need, right? To force everything online because now everybody has to go online. Physically, we have to stay at home, right? Uh, for, for the safety of the people around us. Yeah, so I do think that it's not been done in a very big way. Uh, I think it, you're talking about the past two, three decades, right? But if ever, now would be a very good time uh, for us to reinvent what it looks like and then start thinking uh, what are the virtual components that we can offer to nomads of today, uh, given that yeah, physically we, we can no longer move. Yeah. And so that's looking at it from a very different perspective, right? As you say, and so that's taking us into the technological world. 
which in many ways is pushing us out of industry 4.0 and rapidly pushing us into industry 5.0, which is really combining the humanity of which we're having to do by being isolated in many respects with family, mm. community supporting, and how are we doing that through technology, through much of it. So maybe this is an interesting push, right? you know? Uh, however, if we look at the systems that are out there, and you've been in the financial aspect of uh, industry for many, many years is I'm sure you see that that's a very old style business on so many levels and they keep thinking the same way. And governments are often keeping the same way. They're doing okay pretty much in many countries. But so where I'm going with this is if we have this thinking this is like a turning point. It's, I, I believe it's a turning point. And we right. cannot go back to where we were, but many will right. go back, but they will lose right. as far as I'm concerned. So this means new business models. Uh, yes. And so tell me about that. I, I think like uh, you, you've highlighted a very interesting point, And that is the role that I guess traditional systems play in like today's world, right? So you're talking about government systems. I mean, if we take like a, maybe a more macro perspective of democracy, it is a 200 year old system in our 3000 year history, right? So it, it is a blip actually, it's, it's an anomaly. If you look at the banking system, uh, sure the, the basis of like borrowing and lending has existed for, for aeons, right? But the way that it manifests in our con- current like central banking system, our currency systems, yeah, it, most of it, has only been defined in the past, what, 50, 60 years, right? Uh, call it a century at most. Yeah, but I think what we are seeing is like the role of governments and uh, the private sector and private sector enabled by technology changing. I can give you a very real example, uh, which I experienced personally. So during my studies in China, this was probably in 2012 or 2013, I started seeing my classmates taking money all of their savings out of the banks, and these are the, the big government back, banks, right? And putting it into WeChat. So uh, that for me uh, is not natural. <laughs> I mean, imagine like asking you to take all your money out of the, your, your, your bank account, right? And putting it into WhatsApp. It's, it's, it's strange, right? It's a very strange thing to do. So for me, that highlighted a certain shift in people's mindset. If you look at the way Americans are today, right? For example, if you ask the man on the street, he or she might trust Facebook or Amazon more than he or she trusts the current president, right? So the role that large corporations like Facebook or Amazon or Netflix or Google play in our day-to-day lives, we realize that the trust is actually with the companies and less so with the governments. If you look at the way um, the central banks are doing quantitative easing, Right, basically printing money, right? flooding the market with money. Uh, today, this is unprecedented. Right? We are solving today's problems with what we hope to be future borrowing with no end in sight. So companies like Facebook right, have come up to say, hey, like maybe you know, this is the best time to consider cryptocurrency. Right? I'm going to create a new form of currency called the Libra and you know, it's going to herald the entire new generation of, of finance. Right? So Obviously, uh, the old boys and the, the, the traditional uh, industries resist this change because, hey, you're changing the game, right? That's not what they want. 
Yeah, but sooner or later, this has to happen. And if you look at the way technology has proliferated all of our lives, sooner or later, someone is going to have that breakthrough. So I do think we're in a very interesting point in time in history whereby um, the balances are changing. You're talking about the public sector versus the private sector, right? And where people like you and I, day-to-day people, uh, we place our trust. Yeah, fundamentally, it is, it is already shifting and uh, it already manifested itself in China in, in a very big way in America. Mm, that's fascinating what you're saying. That's a great topic. And it comes down to trust, which is an interesting place. I mean, when I spent time with nomadic cultures in, a variety in for example, in Kenya and Morocco, and I would ask them, how do you develop trust? And if we go back to the ancients, and they would say to me, it's very simple. And I said, really? Mm." And uh, they said, yes, it it really has to do with the congruency and consistency of your words and your actions and your deeds. And if you fulfill those, then you will gain respect, which will lead to trust. But if you do not fulfill those, then you will not gain trust because we cannot rely on you. And this is a very much a survival instinct is we cannot rely on you in any moment because we don't know which way you would shift with the wind. Right, right. So this is the nomadic way of thinking and the way they see things is a very sort of on the ground, you know, action. It's action learning, you action proving. I think that's what's interesting what you're saying about the industries and governments. A lot of the times there's lying so much. I mean, maybe and maybe industry is lying too. We don't know. But which I think probably they are to a certain degree. But if they started to think more nomadically, then they would have a better future. It's my belief, and that's my that's my soapbox today. (laughs) But uh, uh, but uh, how do you feel that the nomadic mindset needs to move us forward into this next period? Because this is the next period which is very important for us right now. Two things come to mind. Um, the first thing would be to the point of trust, like you shared. Uh, and trust comes, like you shared, uh, I feel you correctly shared as well, like um, from a certain degree of consistency. Like trust is built by many like acts of good, right? But it's broken by one. So if you look at, I guess, like the inconsistency and the messaging that's coming out of the White House, nobody really trusts what they see anymore, right? I mean, everyone calls each other out for fake news, right? So we are in this stage whereby we no longer know who to trust or what to trust. But given these times, uh, we do search for something to trust, right? I mean, in a storm, you look for a pillar, right? Uh, and that, that, that gives you uh, stability. So, uh, yes, it will be interesting to see what form uh, this will take, right, moving forward. I think the other thing about the nomadic mindset would be, given that in today's world, uh, things are changing very rapidly, right, more rapidly than ever, if you look at the Fortune 100 companies, like how many of these companies have survived 100 years, right? How many of these, they're no, no longer, are they the general motors of the world, right? So it's all like the, the new age companies and given the speed at which technology um, adoption is happening at and the way it's changing in a way, uh, the rate of like innovation that's happening, like yesterday's careers no longer exist tomorrow, right? So I think the nomadic mindset is a lot more relevant today than it was maybe like, uh, well, no, it's hard to say. I, I think it's just maybe taken a different form, but it's, it's definitely relevant today. Uh, adaptability is key. 
no longer holding on to past preconceived mindsets is more important ever uh, than ever. Um, being adaptable is extremely important. Uh, being human is a lot more important, right? Because like we all have to hold on to what keeps us human because everything else can be automated, right? Especially today. So yeah, I do think that having a nomadic mindset in today's world is extremely important, uh, especially because everything is so volatile, right? So if we embrace kind of like the nomads inside us, then you no longer feel like, maybe you start embracing it rather than resisting it. Ah, resisting. Oh, yeah, I mean, it's already there. It's just <laughs> that we, we, need, we need to be able to, again, it's finding the correct answer and sometimes following that correct answer. And that's the truth in the nomadic mindset is following whatever the answer is being posed to you. And it's not one particular answer, right? So right. like in schools, for example, I mean, there still is the tradition of this is the one way and the one answer. And so consequently, that is not allowing people to prepare for this future. Would you say so? Uh, yes. And I think especially in our in the Singaporean education system, if you look at the way we study, uh, we have these things called the 10-year series. So I mean, it's all like the Cambridge standard, right? But yeah, if you, I, I think what we do to prepare for the, our exams are basically to train ourselves or to memorize the answers from the past 10 years, right? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, naturally, the only answer that we can come up with would be what we've already seen and what has already been done over the past 10 years. But I think moving forward, given the role uh, that value creation needs to play in our economy, right? And innovation is key. Like, um, there still needs to be constraints, but I think within those constraints, we need to be given space to be able to explore and to fail. Mm -hmm. uh, like um, yeah, in, in a highly capitalistic, highly democratic country, yeah, failure is not so much embraced, but yeah, I think moving forward, it has to be, right? Kind of like Thomas Edison, right? right? Mm -hmm. I mean, he basically saw his work as like uh, in, creation of, in the creation of a light bulb. It's like, hey, I just like found 1,000 ways not to do this, right? So it's not failure per se. Yeah, but uh, I, I think, uh, especially in today's culture and, and in today's uh, academic and education system, a failure should be embraced and it should be, it should show up in terms of performance metrics, right? Mm -hmm. Rather than, you know, every failure is like a, a cross. But if we kind of like reimagine that and or imagine that and, and think that, hey, every failure as a tick or as a tick in the right direction towards success, then yeah, then may maybe we can better embrace innovation that way. Mm -hmm. That's well said, very well said. And uh, I would imagine, well, we come back to this whole thing around the correct way for you and that I somehow got in my head following the correct answer is, is that it seems from our discussion and the way you see the world at this point in time and also with Muaz and, and the people that you bring on board, that that early stage of questioning and finding has allowed you to then be expansive in the way you look at things. And that's what I'm hearing from you is this expansiveness as opposed to if you were, say, for example, if you still stayed as an investment banker or, you know, that would be a very different role and a different mindset in many ways. Exactly. Whereas like, I guess in, in, in Muvas now, every day 
we try to understand. Uh, obviously, we we are still a private entity, right? So we, we are um, we do have our commercial metrics we need to hit. But what I guess we are allowed to do now is to be like uh, the owners of our own destiny, right? If we are going to test and fail, uh, sure, we have to test and fail fast and cheap, right? But we test and fail like with confidence <laughs> and bravado. <laughs> so it's a little bit different yeah. from when I was working in the, in the financial institution. So yeah, so just being able to embrace that has been uh, extremely like liberating. I, I don't know if this sounds like oxymoronic, but yeah, being able to fail and fail kind of like uh, like freely is actually liberating for us. And that's why we continue to do what we do every day. We do things that, yeah, the traditional boys might frown upon or question like, hey, you know, like, um, does that even make sense? Or we, they don't really understand what we're doing or the way we see the world. But that's also the reason for our existence. And we know that's why our investors continue to back us, right? Because they are basically betting on a horse that is there to redefine the industry. So, yeah, so I, I do see several stars aligning in the work we do and the timing is perfect. People are nomadic more than ever. I love the way you explain it about the fact that uh, it's uh, being able to fail freely and it's very liberating. And that liberating, uh, how, how do you continue to promote that within the organization by the, your leadership? How, what do you say? What do you allow them to do? Share with us just a little bit about maybe a couple of points of what you do that helps this grow and flourish within your organization. Oh, sure. Yeah, I'd be happy to share. Like, so it all starts, I guess, from the point whereby we start uh, interviewing people, right? We put forth a lot of caveats. Say we do tell people that, hey, while we are like a younger company and generally the age, um, the age range in our company is a little bit on the younger side as with most uh, tech startups. What that doesn't mean is that we start compromising on our standards, right? So the basis of working together is kind of like a, a pack of wolves, right? Uh, we form a circle, right? If there is a breach anywhere within the circle, the rest of us, we, we kind of run in, right? To fill the gap and to make sure that the integrity of the team is not lost that way. So it's, it's a very strong family culture. But what this means is that the fundamental of this working relationship is trust, right? My job in the company is to manage resources, right? Resources, we have financial resources. We also have human resources. So uh, putting the right people in the right chair is basically what uh, I, I strive to do every day. But what it also means is that when people like uh, start producing work, that what we as a team deem to be subpar, they also have to have that trust that I would be the first person to come and knock on their head, right? So they need to know that there's a consistency to that. So, and, you know, uh, me bringing um, these things up will not be done out of anger nor hate, right? It's just because I care and I care about what we are telling ourselves. I care about what standard we hold ourselves to as a team, right? And I cannot let that drop because if I let one drop, I let the standard of the entire team drop. So, uh, people who tend to resonate with that understanding tend to um, thrive, I guess, in our company. There are, I mean, there is that oddball and uh, there are people who do not uh, relate to this. And uh, yeah, during our conversations, uh, these things do surface. Our suggestion, therefore, is that, hey, like, you know, you don't have to work in this company, right? Like, uh, ultimately, it, uh, working together is kind of like a marriage. Like, uh, you have 
to know what you're getting into. And uh, I think fundamentally, the best thing I can do is be transparent about it. So yeah, if we do kind of like if we can find that 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 harmony and that resonance and our working styles and our belief, then join us, right? But you know, if it doesn't, you know, if, if the tune is is so we're not singing the same song, then it's okay, right? We can still be friends, but we just don't have to work together. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, like um, I think our daily conversations are such whereby it's really okay, and fundamentally, a lot of it is trust. But what that means is that, uh, what that also means is that uh, we still want to hold ourselves to a certain standard and we have to trust that each of us holds uh, ourselves to that standard. So not breaking that uh, is, is extremely important. That's beautifully said. Thank you very much for that. I mean, I'm quite curious. Okay, you said the age, you didn't, you did, a younger age, but you didn't say the age range. What is the age range? So currently, I guess the average age is about 28. Okay. So millennials then? Yes, millennials. Yeah. Um, okay. But the caveat to that is that um, we, we have a very even mix of people with experience and mm. uh, younger people with imagination. <laughs> so ultimately, there is a logistical component to it. Right? Mm. And uh, as with all, especially in logistics, uh, experience uh, plays a very big role. Mm. Yeah, so uh, we do work with kind of like... Uh, the two opposite ends of Canada of people, people with a lot of experience, uh, but their world has been a little bit more uh, pen and paper. And then we also work on the other polar end with people who's never talked about logistics and maybe as, you know, they, writing is not that thing, typing is that thing, right? Like uh, the conversations get very interesting when you put uh, two of these uh, profiles together in a room. <laughs> I would imagine. And that's also the interesting part. And uh, we could go into that in the multi-generationals at some point. And that's another subject. But I also like the idea of the circle because that goes back to the very beginnings of time of nomadic cultures where everything is in a circle and everything is, mm -hmm. everybody has an equality within that circle. There's not one higher than the other. It's, and it is a consistency of time that someone gets to right. speak as opposed to stealing time and whichever and on. So, there is that uh, so fantastic uh, ways that you are creating this uh, ambiance, this culture within Muaz. Well, this has been a fantastic conversation, Junzian, and I'm really, really, really happy that we've had this time because uh, I and now learn more about you, and I certainly learn more about Muaz and and the nomadic mindset in many ways too. So I want to thank you very much. And if there's one last thing that you want to say to the audience, what would that be? Embrace change. Mm. Lovely. Embrace change. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's in two different words that we need to use and change the word so that there is no change. Some people are now calling it. <laughs> some people are saying we need to refocus. But maybe it's we just need to focus or new focus. <laughs> right, know. right, right. You know, because all these words have different uh, meanings. Anyway, we could go on a long conversation with this, but I want to thank you very much and have a great weekend. Thank you, Kevin. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. You have been listening to The Nomadic Mindset Season 1. My name is Kevin Cottom, and I invite you to find out more about The Nomadic Mindset at thenomadicmindset.com. Until next time, make it a point to go nomading and start discovering your nomadic mindset. <laughs>